Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm recording in a very loud place because I just recorded a live radio show with Matt Taibbi and Aaron Mate, and usually I record my podcast and then play it on the radio, but today, because we're in a time of breaking news and breaking narratives like Russiagate, I came into the studio. So here is a podcast of a chat that I had with Aaron Mate and Matt Taibbi live on WBAI. And if you like this and you like to actually be able to hear Russia gate skeptics like Matt and Aaron and my other guests like Max Blumenthal and Rania Mate and Rania Kalik, because there's no such thing as Rania Mate, but I'm all distracted, please um, become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, it's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Thanks so much. See you next week. And I'll also be providing you with a bonus episode with Matt Taibbi. Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. So excited to be here. You can hear the Katie Halper Show at our new time, which is Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org. And we have a great show for you coming up today. Some of you may have heard of this thing called Russiagate. The the media talks about it sometimes. You may have heard um, there's an entire network dedicated to it called MSNBC that uh, forgot that other things in the world were happening. They just talk about Russiagate. And uh, today I'm bringing you some great journalists, men who have gone where no men have gone before, or at least have gone where few men have gone before, or uh, few men and women have gone before, which is into the realm of Russiagate skepticism. We're going to talk about that with them. As as most people would, would admit, they've been vindicated. But some people um, in the media are still in denial but I'm going to let them explain it. So the first person we're talking to is the award-winning journalist, uh, Matt Taibbi at uh, Rolling Stone. Uh, Do we have Matt on the... Okay, we're getting to Matt. You see, this is how in demand these guys are. Um, We also have another number for him that he just gave me, um, which is right here. See, we're giving you this espionage vibe this thriller suspense thing because we wanted it to match with the Russiagate narrative, except for um, unlike Russiagate, there actually is a kind of suspenseful thing going on here. But yeah, Matt, Matt Taibbi has a great piece in uh, at Rolling Stone, and it's called As the Mueller Probe Ends, New Russiagate Myths Begin. Donald Trump couldn't have asked for a juicier 2020 campaign issue. This is the, this is the beauty of live radio. Everyone, by the way, go open up if you're in front of you, the internet. You can go to the Rolling Stone, look at Taibbi's piece. It's great. And, and it opens with, on Sunday, Attorney General William Barr sent a letter to Congress summarizing the findings of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. The most telling section, quoted directly from Mueller's report, read, quote, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities, end quote. That one sentence should end a roughly 33-month national ordeal, the first Russiagate stories date back to July 2016, in which the public was encouraged both by officials and the press to believe Donald Trump was a compromised foreign agent. So we got Matt Taibbi, we got Aaron Maté, not to be confused with each other, although you could be like Aaron Mataibi. That's that's what we could call them as an investigative team. Um, these two guys have been done amazing work. Aaron Mate is a journalist um, at The Nation. He used to be a co-host at Democracy Now! He also used to be a producer and uh, journalist with The Real News. And they've both been 
you know what's interesting is that they've both been really smeared for just being skeptical people and they're dismissed as ironically people who are skeptical about Russiagate are ironically dismissed as conspiracy theorists and of course it couldn't be further from the truth because these are people who are actually skeptical skeptics and waiting for evidence to appear before they they come to a conclusion so I think we do have on the line Aaron is that true hello hi Aaron thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me of course um you are the one, I, I think you're probably the, the person who's most associated with um, Russiagate skepticism. And um, you've tolerated a lot for that. You've paid the price for that. Can you explain to listeners where we are right now in the Russiagate uh, investigation? Where we are is that the conspiracy theory has collapsed. I mean, for two years, the uh, dominant uh, narrative has been that Trump is in cahoots with Russia. He engaged in a conspiracy with them. He's possibly compromised by them. Uh, and that Robert Mueller was going to uncover it. Robert Mueller was going to uncover the smoking gun. And Robert Mueller has just rendered his verdict. And he didn't. He found no evidence of a Trump-Russia conspiracy. Uh, that's no surprise to those of us who looked at the available evidence, which is what journalism is, is supposed to do. You go based on not where your imagination takes you what the actual facts tell you. And the facts from the beginning told us a very you know, clear story that the, the case for this uh, Trump-Russia collusion theory was just not there. Right. Um, what is the, uh, I guess I want to know what you thought would happen. And what were your predictions? Um, I, I, predicted a, I predicted a while ago that, you know, look, this result was not a surprise at all, again, based on the available facts. And, and just the plausibility of the underlying theory to begin with, that Trump, this reality TV show host who didn't even look like he really thought he would win, engaged in a conspiracy with Russia, or that he was a compromise by Russia. It, it just wasn't there. It didn't make sense as an idea, and it didn't make sense based on the facts we knew. So my prediction was always that, um, and I said this a while ago, that there would be zero indictments or claims of a Trump-Russia conspiracy, but the Mueller might throw, uh, you know, the those who are hanging on to that idea a bone, especially because there was so much put on his shoulders. He was turned into this like revered saint, and he does come from a DC establishment that does uh, resent Trump, not for the reasons that you know I think you or I do and our and our listeners might, uh, but based on his actual harmful policies, but because they think that he is a, you know, is a crude. Uh, representative of the establishment. Of, <laughs> so it's not, president. Aaron, I just want to clarify. We, um, do we still believe, given that what's happened, do we still believe that Mueller wears Brooks Brothers suits? Because... Well, yeah, I mean, like, that was part of the, that was part of the, like, PR campaign to, like, revere Mueller and to paint him as this, like, saintly figure and talking about what clothes he wears and, and his background and so forth. Um, right. And, th and that was at a time when everybody thought he was going to deliver a verdict that Trump had committed treason. Now that Mueller has uh, delivered the opposite verdict, I mean, Mueller is no longer being uh, glorified in this way. And there's even an article in The New York Times saying that some Democrats are reconsidering their act of putting him on a pedestal. But anyway, right. my, pred my prediction was that Mueller would throw them a bone. And I think um, so. So my prediction was, first of all, that Mueller would not find a. Trump-Russia conspiracy. So that uh, 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 bore out pretty well. That bore out pretty well. And then it was also that Mueller would throw uh, those who expected a conspiracy a bone. And I think 
that I mean, this is my theory here, but that's what Mueller's decision was when it comes to obstruction, because he didn't make a decision. He basically left it open, which then leaves it open for speculation. When really, I mean, it's strange for after a two-year investigation for a prosecutor to defer like this. And I'd be curious to hear what Matt Taibbi has to say about that. But I think that basically in, in punting on obstruction, that was Mueller's way of like of of leaving something open that 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 people could hang on to, while still not giving them anything. Because, because of course, if Mueller actually thought that Trump committed obstruction, he could have alleged it. Right. Well, we are going to um, take a very short break because we want to bring Matt Taibbi on to talk with you and talk to us. We're going to play a really appropriate, if I do say so, song. Um, uh, hate to ta- say I told you so by the Hive. And that was the Hive singing Hate to Say I Told You So, um, which we're playing for reasons you may be able to put together. So excited to have two amazing guests on the show. Kind of really honestly couldn't ask for better guests to be talking about Russiagate. We have with us Aaron Mate, a Nation magazine journalist, former host of The Real News and producer of The Real News. And we have with us also, joining us right now, Matt Taibbi, the award-winning Rolling Stone journalist. So welcome, Matt and Aaron. Thanks for having us on. Yes. Hello. Hello. Um, so congratulations, hey, by the way, to both of you. <laughs> well, for your skepticism. It, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems a little. I mean, this is this is going to continue for years and years and years. So right. it's a little little early to be. Doing the touchdown spike, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, and listen. The, the only actual victory here is Trump, because mm. you know, as, as right. we've been as we've been warning for two years, this whole thing, you know, focusing on this conspiracy theory was only setting up the resistance up for failure because right. the evidence wasn't there, and eventually the, the facts had to come out. Mueller has just done that with his verdict, and now, of course, Trump is understandably, and as we predicted, using this for his reelection campaign. Right. So the only the only possible victory here uh, for uh, for politics and for journalism is if there's accountability and is if we learn from this uh, and and uh, on the journalism front is if we learn um, to actually follow the facts, not a narrative that benefits ratings and gets us clicks. And politics, if we actually learn to start becoming an actual real resistance, mounting Trump, uh, mounting an opposition to Trump. 
uh, around based on opposing his policies, not based on believing in this fairy tale. Right. And I wanted to give you guys both the chance to respond to this premise, which is a false one, which is that if you question the Russiagate narrative, you're somehow helping Trump. Or who would question Russiagate unless they are trying to cover Trump's butt or trying to downplay how destructive he is? So, um, Aaron, you kind of got into that, but I want to ask you, Matt, also what your response to that is. Well, I, I agree completely with everything that Aaron said. And, and in fact, in I believe it was March of 2017, way, way at the beginning of this, uh, I wrote an article basically saying the same things, that this story was um, a real minefield for both Democratic voters and the Democratic Party, but particularly for journalists, um, because Donald Trump had already made it such a, an important part of his message that journalists were out to get him, right. that there were representatives of the elite who would stop at nothing to undermine his presidency. And to me, it seemed the the only way that we could possibly you know sort of lose with the public in you know in a contest with somebody like Donald Trump is if we completely abdicated the standards of the profession and did what he accused us of doing uh which would be politicizing our jobs uh using you know, sort of trumped up evidence to try to make him look bad um that was the one option that you know, out of an infinite number of ways we could have pursued covering his presidency. That was the one thing that could have really helped him. And we did it. We not only did we do it, but we did it basically to the exclusion of almost everything else for years. And what are some of the things that were excluded, uh, like at the cost of, um, uh, because of Russiagate? What were some of the important stories that the public was kind of deprived of? Aaron, you want to take that? or I mean, literally, I I would say... Everything. I, I remember watching uh, watching Rachel Maddow the day that um, the Congress had taken a huge step forward to, you know, uh, taking away the health insurance of millions of Americans. And I, I think she gave it like, a, uh, you know, like about 30 seconds and moved on to some element of the conspiracy theory that ended up, of course, being totally debunked. I mean, we can go on and on and on about what was not covered. I mean, right. there's the MSNBC didn't uh, mention Yemen for I think about a year. What's Yemen? A time I don't when, even know. Where in Russia is Yemen? At a time, at a time when the U.S. was 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 taking part in a uh, in a genocide and killing tens of thousands of people through the Saudi bombing campaign and the famine that that campaign was causing. I mean, even also, I mean, one of the most crucial things it ignored was the serious escalation of tensions between the U.S. and Russia that Trump was overseeing through carrying out policies that were far more hawkish than Obama. Well, we haven't focused on those, I think, partly because Labor is partly because uh, they uh, they're supported by the bipartisan foreign policy consensus in Washington. and, And the media generally goes along with that. But also because to acknowledge those policies and look at them seriously. Would undercut this idea that everybody bought onto that Trump was doing Putin's bidding. Right. Um, right. Uh, Matt, do you have any favorite uh, ignored stories? I mean, I, I think there, were, there was a very telling moment for me when um, the story came out where you know, every year the Pentagon is, is responsible under the terms of the each year's National Defense Authorization Act. They have to submit a memo that's usually not made public 
but uh, it speaks to which countries where we have active combat operations in. And in, I believe it was early 2017, they released one that said that we had active operations in seven countries. So I did a little story basically saying, hey, has anybody noticed that we're basic, we're at war in Niger and Somalia and, and Yemen and uh, Syria and you know Afghanistan? And in other words, just the idea that we're that we've started. Um, new military campaigns, and this can fly completely under the radar right. uh, with the public because of this story. It just speaks to the enormity um, of this story and how much oxygen it took up. It took up everything. We didn't have time for anything else. Right. And and how much did the goading of Trump, I mean, you have Democrats, Howard Dean, for instance, not that uh, he's that relevant, although he's more relevant than he should be, but um, you have a you have you know Congressman Adam Schiff, all these all these people kind of goading Trump and mocking him as you know Putin's boyfriend um, or being too close to Putin. And then Aaron, as you guys have been, have both uh, mentioned, you have Trump policies that are quite hawkish, right? How much has this provided cover or even incentive for for Trump to be more hawkish to kind of prove that he's not um, politically in bed with Putin? Well, yeah, I mean, I, one one of the things that I that I said early on in in some of these pieces was the the one supreme danger. Like, if you on the day that Donald Trump was elected, the very first thing that should have come to everybody's mind was, you know, if we have no other priority in terms of activism for the next four years, the most important thing is to keep Donald Trump away from any kind of decision that would right. involve nuclear combat, right. right? Like that that would be the number one consideration that anybody should make. And yet, when Donald Trump decided, um, and, and I think this is in his character a little bit, he's not, even though he likes to think of himself as great at war, <laughs> he, he does have this sort of natural reluctance to get into military conflicts in places, or at least, you know, politically so. When he talked about getting out of Syria, we should have been encouraging that. Like you know, the, no matter what you think about Syria or what you think our policy should be there, the reality is that the commander in chief that we have is not the person you want to be sending troops into a combat zone where there are Russians on the other side. Right. You know, I mean, they're, the Russian American troops are sitting across the Euphrates River from each other, and a couple of bad drunken incidents could trigger nuclear combat and and that that to me was nuts yeah is this i mean i i've I've said this a lot before and i don't really know the answer i don't know if any of us does but you guys probably are may but what is the end game right because you have people saying that trump is a megalomaniac with dementia um who's erratic who stole the election thanks to Russians, and you, the same people say that Putin is a megalomaniac and evil, and they both have their finger on the buttons, and they want Trump to stop being so soft, right? They want Trump to ratchet things up with Putin. So what is the endgame that they imagine? They imagine no endgame. Uh, this, this whole thing was incoherent. They were accusing uh, Trump of doing Putin's bidding while he uh, consistently does the opposite uh, he, while he you know, tries to overthrow Putin's ally in Venezuela, while he bombs right. Right. Uh, Putin's ally in Syria twice. 
pulls out of the INF Treaty, setting off a whole new nuclear arms race. I mean, great. So basically, the end game, the actual end game in real life is existential peril. Right. Because we are risking, uh, you know, nuclear accidents and the threat of war uh, based on these hawkish policies. Right. But that doesn't matter to those who profited off of the Russiagate narrative, to failed neoliberal democratic elites who needed an excuse to uh, to cover up the fact that they lost to Donald Trump, to FBI, to intelligence officials who opened up this investigation on very specious grounds, uh, and who who suspected Trump in part because he was saying nice things about Vladimir Putin. Right. And whether you agree with that or not, to to lay that as a predicate for a counterintelligence investigation is just extraordinary. And then there was the media, which of course right. got a lot of ratings and, and clicks by spinning this real-life uh, spy thriller. Right. If I could interject there too, I, I I think there was an element of Russiagate and still is that does have a logic to it. I think it's a very dark logic. Uh, if if you saw what what happened in 2016, the the political situation was sort of the ruling neoliberal consensus was under fire from all sides. You know, from radical right movements, uh, both in the United States and in, and in Europe, from leftist movements, uh, both in the United States and in Europe, um, there the overwhelming voter sentiment everywhere had to do with the rejection of sort of international global consensus. You saw votes like Brexit, uh, the, you know, which was a complete repudiation of a number of things. But Russiagate, as a political solution, as a response to that electoral phenomenon, has been extraordinarily effective because, because what it's done is it's, it's completely changed the attitude of a, a huge portion of the population, which now sees as its only savior the very, you know, sort of international security services, the international uh, sort of global uh, consensus, they they see them as the saviors um, who are going to rescue them from the evil Trump, uh, and therefore we have to pursue this case and and you know uh, and celebrate authoritarianism and celebrate the FBI and the CIA and and their heroism and and the EU and everything and NATO. So it's it's this story has had some benefit from a propaganda perspective as well. So you think that that people think that the intelligence community and the military industrial complex are these things are going to the theory goes that they will just get they'll stop Trump from getting his finger on the button like so they're not cuz Aaron you said existential peril which does seem like one option. Do you think the people who are pushing this narrative which does potentially lead to existential peril um are they just counting on uh, some kind of, you know, the adults in the room taking over from Trump or something? Well, I mean, that was part of this uh, narrative, which is that we were, as Matt is saying, that we're supposed to revere and trust right. in intelligence officials, forgetting their actual record, which includes giving us one of the biggest crimes of, you know, in recent memory, uh, the, the Iraq war. I mean, right. They're the ones who, who spun the funny intel about WMDs. Um, and, and also promoting this notion that fundamentally undermines the idea of a democratic government, where it's the elected president, whether you like that person or not, who's supposed to make uh, the decisions, not unelected, you know, intelligence bureaucrats. 
you know, and to illustrate Matt's point about how this, you know, diverted liberal energy, let's look at one of the biggest protests of the Trump era. It was not over Trump <laughs> taking away health care. Right. Yeah. It was not over Trump uh, and the GOP uh, pushing through this tax cut that was, I think, the biggest upward transfer of wealth in U.S. history. It was to protect Robert Mueller. Just a few right. months ago, we had marches in Times Square and D.C. all over the country about protecting Mueller. When he actually seriously, at least the last little while, for the last long while, has not been under threat, as I think Barr's uh, summary just makes clear that the Justice Department never interfered with anything he wanted to do. But yet, protecting Robert Mueller from this uh, threat we perceived him to be under, that all of a sudden is one of the biggest causes for a massive national rally instead of what Trump is actually doing. I'm going to have to push back on that and say that you are eclipsing the other very important resistance movement, which was to save uh, Jeff Beauregard Sessions. Um, which well, that's what elicited this march. So the day after Sessions was forced to step down, that's what this march was over. So right. we were basically marching marching for Jeff Sessions', Jeff Sessions job. Right. right. And if you compare that march to what, what we saw, see, in the very first days of the Trump administration, we had the Muslim ban. And that was right before Russiagate had totally uh, had taken over. And then what did we see? We saw people going to airports and standing up uh, to this really cruel Trump policy and doing something about it. Well, where was the energy ever since then? And I think there's a strong correlation between the rise of Russiagate throughout the resistance and the decline in activism that we saw right before Russiagate really exploded. Right. And you're listening to The Katie Halper Show. I'm speaking to the wonderful journalist. Matt Taibbi, the award-winning journalist at Rolling Stone. Also, Aaron Mate, the hardest-working man in uh, Russiagate showbiz. Also, a journalist at The Nation and former host and producer at The Real News. We're also going to take your calls at the end of the show. Um, And if you would like to ask us questions, um, talk to me, Matt, or Aaron. Um, You can call 212 209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. Um, so we talked a little bit about Russiagate and what and the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown knowns. Um, let's talk a little bit about the role of media. I wanted to know, um, maybe we could kind of pay homage to the worst Russiagate um, uh, <laughs> players because uh, it's really There's nuts. too many. There's too many. There's I know, too many right? Tonight. I know we're gonna have to have a marathon, a 24-hour marathon, where we go through all of them. But what? Who do you think? I mean, yeah. look, it, it, the, the the central figure is, is Rachel, unfortunately. Right. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how you how to avoid. Uh, uh, yeah, we're first avoid, we're speaking of Rachel Maddow, who um is a road. Not I don't want to be you know uh, a snob about this, but she is a road scholar. If anything, I'm probably being an anti-snob. I'm like undoing uh, centuries of uh, of stereotypes about Rhodes Scholars. But yes, this woman is, I mean, Rachel Maddow is, is very intelligent, right? No yeah, one I, doubts I, her intelligence. I, I, I knew I knew Rachel, you know, going back to the Air America days. Right. We, we used to be friends. And, and I always thought she was smart, funny, yeah. you know, skeptical. Yeah. Um, and Did she rub yeah, her she hands had, together she, in real life, like she does on TV. I, I, I don't remember that, okay. but you know what? You know, she she had some things yeah. that we disagreed about. You know, um, especially on things like involving the military. Um, right. She, you know, I'm kind of more of a pacifist than she right. is. But uh, but this this transformation, you know, where she's she started to play this character on television. Right. That's like something out of 
um, I forget what the Andy Griffith movie is, um, but you know, it's it's like a modern day Glenn Beck act. Right. And um, I, I, it's been shocking to to watch her embrace that role uh, in a way that it, in the way that she has. Um, I don't I don't know if you feel the same way, Aaron, but it's uh, it's it's been very scary to me. When I wrote a piece uh, two years ago, two years ago next month, I wrote a piece for The Intercept just looking at her coverage even back as early as back then about how Russia was being covered above everything else. It was being done in a way that was ignoring all the countervailing developments that undercut her conspiracy theory, which she had already jumped onto. That basically says she was being a propagandist. I noted that it's what a tragedy it was because I've always thought she's a really gifted journalist. Um, she's, she was was dubbed the smartest person on TV. And I think, yeah, there was a time when I, I probably found that plausible. I mean, I used to be a fan of hers. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's been tragic to watch. And I mean, you can't ignore the fact, uh, you can't ignore the reality of what she's become, which is just a straight up propagandist who has, you know, not interviewed a single dissenting voice and basically not acknowledged any of the countervailing facts. And that is why, I mean, I actually tuned in to her show last night, her first show since uh, the summary of Mueller, of Mueller's findings was released. And after more than two years of promoting this idea of a Trump-Russia conspiracy, she gave uh, the uh, Mueller finding that there was no Trump-Russia conspiracy. She gave it 30 seconds. Mm. She gave it 30 seconds. She basically read out the, the summary, the findings from Mueller's report. And then she moved on to obstruction for the rest of the hour, because now, of course, Obstruction is a thing that uh, that Maddow and everybody else who promoted the Russia conspiracy theory are going to cling to now in a bit to cover up for the fact that their conspiracy theory failed. Right. Yeah. And and, and uh, if, I, if I could just add to the, the you know the, the cable stations have played a very particular role in this whole business, which has been to scare people. Right. Like you know. It, 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 all propaganda works on multiple levels, but there has to be an emotional component uh, to things in order in order for it to really sell, uh, because you have to be able to turn people's minds off when it comes to this stuff. So the, the, the combination that worked here was the emotional devastation of liberal audiences. People, you know, people were crushed when Donald Trump was elected. You know, I, I'm sure you've talked to people who, who, who likened it to. 9/11, or you know, losing a family member. Uh, but there was there was a combination of that plus being told over and over again, we are under attack. There are Russians in in our midst. You may not even be aware of them. They may be working in your in your office. They may they may turn off your heat in right. the middle of the winter. You know, people on some level they register this stuff, and it it. Turns their brain, it turns their minds off to alternative possibilities, and that that is a particularly low low form of media activity. And they they didn't just indulge in it; they turned it into an art form with the story, um, and uh, that was shocking to watch too. Yeah, uh, that, you know, I'll never forget. Maddow did a segment where she's talking about some alleged Russian trolls interfering on Bernie Sanders San Diego uh, uh, fan club Facebook page. And she talks about this potential Russian troll activity on this Facebook fan page for Bernie Sanders in San Diego. And she, then she says, 
This is international warfare against our country. That Bernie Sanders lovers page run out of Albania? It's still there, still running, still operating, still churning this stuff out. Now, this is not part of American politics. This is not, you know, partisan warfare between Republicans and Democrats. This is international warfare against our country. And it did not end on Election Day. We are still in it. <laughs> it's like it's that kind of stuff. And then I'll also never forget Rob Reiner, who helped found oh, this like yeah. Holly, this Hollywood neocon group, Hollywood slash neocon alliance called the Committee to Investigate Russia. Rob Reiner on MSNBC. I'll try to find this clip and tweet it out. He said that the Russians are in our bloodstream. That authoritarianism has entered the bloodstream of America, and it is very subtle. It's in our bloodstream, he said. Mm. So it's insidious, and it has affected our bloodstream. So, I mean, there's a huge psychological dimension to all this. And yeah. I, 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 yeah. No, the, the, the New York Times also did a, a, um, an infographic online where they, they actually expanded upon that theme, and they described the Russian threat as a virus that was literally taking over your body at the cellular level mm. and cha changing your chemistry, uh, your body chemistry. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's a very elaborate graphic. And, you know, that people, even intelligent people, will be moved by this stuff. I know. It's really, uh, it's very scary. I mean, I feel like I've been dropping my uh, definite articles uh, without even realizing it. It's affecting. It's affecting my speech pattern, um, and we're about to. And take, of course, yeah, yeah. And this is just a quickly. I mean, this is a part of. This is not obviously did not start in 2016. I mean, Matt has written about this. I mean, in terms of you know being in our bloodstream. Well, like, Russophobia right. is in the bloodstream of American political culture. It goes back a century, where you know for for decades it's been the Russians invading us and and, right. and manipulating us and uh, turning our young people into dupes and planting propaganda in our heads. And I don't think that's why this Russiagate thing, it could not have happened with any other country. There's a reason we don't hear about Israel Gate or Saudi Gate. Oh, right, which we have to bring it, up Israel. It, right. it, it particularly survived on this very entrenched uh, Cold War mindset that, that, that way predates 2015. Well, you know, which, yeah. which, I'm sorry to interrupt, no. which is another reason why the, there was a lot of conscious conflation of the Russian Federation and the Soviet Union that went on, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, you can still today go onto the Mother Jones website and see images of Vladimir Putin, but it'll have a hammer and sickle next oh, to it. I know. I wish. Uh, I don't get my hopes up, guys. Uh, and and you know the, the 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 Jonathan Shade story that claims that you know he's been an agent since 1987 when you know again it was a diff different country back then. Right. Um, Donna Brazil talking about how the communists have gotten into our, oh our you know yeah. dictating the debate. Right. They 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 want us to forget the distinction because they want us to remember that those archaic fears we had back in the right. days when the day after was the big scare story. Right. The idea that the problem is that, you know, Trump is being influenced by a communist internationalist um, who is trying to make, you know, as we can see from the redistribution of wealth that Trump is uh, exacting in the United States. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but, you know, Aaron, I want to make. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, let me make a quick amendment. I want to yeah. say cause I love mocking Chris Hayes. I think yeah, Chris Hayes sure. is very smart, very yeah. bright. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm. It was the Jonathan Chait slash Chris Hayes story. 
because after Jonathan Chait came out with a story about is Trump a Russian military intelligence agent, uh, then uh, Chris Hayes put Chait on his program that night and they discussed it as if this was a serious prospect. Right. Um, have, has either of you, I mean, Aaron, you haven't been on WB, on, uh, whoops, Freudian slip, you have been on WBI, you're on WBI right now, but have you been on MSNBC and Matt, when's the last time you were on MSNBC? You know, it's funny. The last time I was on MSNBC, I was on with Malcolm Nance. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and I was on to talk about this issue. And I was on with Chris Hayes. And it, what was really funny was, you know, I, I said something that I thought was a completely sort of anodyne conservative comment, which was, well, there's two versions. Of the, well, there's not just two versions. There's there's multiple versions of the story. There's, there's a scenario where um, – you know, there was some kind of foreign interference that went on. There's another scenario where it went on uh, and Donald Trump was, you know, involved with it. And I said, those, those two stories, if those are, are are the two options that they're looking at right now. And I didn't even get into the fact that, that it hadn't really been established that the Russians had, had done it. But I said, those, those two stories are orders of magnitude different. And the media has to do a, a, a make a, an important distinction between the two that one doesn't prove the other, um, and that was a lot. I was never invited on again after that. Wow. Yeah. And when was that, Matt? That was in I think January of 2017, right at the beginning of this whole thing. And and okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, well, we'll just say if, so. If that's the date, then that means that that was the la- January 2017, basically right as Trump was taking office, was the last time a uh, someone who was skeptical from the left of this whole RussiaGate thing was allowed on MSNBC. Because in December 2016, I remember uh, Ari Melber interviewed Glenn Greenwald, but that was the last time for Glenn. And if that's the last time for Matt, then that means that basically throughout this entire affair, Trump's presidency. MSNBC has not allowed on a single dissenting voice. I mean, that's, that's extraordinary. That's, <laughs> well, that's, that we know it, of, I mean, because uh, it's in our bloodstream, as as we, you guys have pointed out. So we could have had some, like, um, Manchurian uh, guests on the show without even knowing it. But the right. funny oh, thing is, the funny thing, yeah. Katie, we, 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 the, the group is so small that has that has, you know, publicly talked about this. Right. We all we can we, we, you know you can count us on One a hand, couple of hands. Two hands yeah. it's, it's basically two hands. Right. We all know each other. We're in constant contact with each other because we have to be. Right. Uh, and you know none of us they won't invite us. Nobody's going to invite us on television. Right. Yeah. And what does that say, by the way? What does that say about a political media culture? Well, let's but speaking it, of political media. Oh, I just want to make sure we take we have people on the line, and because our our media culture is different from MSNBC, I want to let the people ask some questions. But uh, Aaron, do you kind of finish your point, then we'll open it to questions. Yeah, this, like what does it say about our media political culture that the amount of that it's somehow a fringe position? Yeah, exactly. To, to question the idea of a conspiracy between the president and Russia, right? Uh, it's such a fringe position that the number of people. Who question that? Who challenge it? And, and, and in a in a trade that is about looking at the available facts and 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 and, and scrutinizing them, that that position is so frenzy you can count it on one or two hands. It's yeah. Crazy. Well, okay. Um, the number, by the way, again is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We're taking calls two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Um, and we already have some people coming in. Hello. Hi. Uh, I don't know what number to call. I have $400 that I want to donate. Oh, 
Um, yeah. Okay, let's see. Call 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. Is this uh, in the name of uh, the Katie Helper Show? Just kidding. I mean, yes, but... Yeah, five what one, is it? I'm sorry. 516-620-3602. But you can also email Linda... No, I, oh. I don't have a computer. Okay, she doesn't have a computer. So call... So we're going to pick you up, that up now. Awesome. Great. Um... Any questions um, besides that very important one, which really is important and helpful? So thank you so much. Yeah, I I'm just a little slow. So could you say it one more time? Sure. Slow. Um, five one six five one six six two zero uh huh three six zero two three six zero two. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'd like to. To, to give $400. I just didn't know who to call. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. So you have the number now. Okay. Uh, any questions about Russiagate? Uh, no, I'll just make this call okay. right now. Thank you so much. Thanks You're a lot. You're welcome. Okay. Any other calls? This was not a, that was not a plan, by the way. Any other calls? <laughs> um, okay. We're going to, this is, we're going to, uh, well, there, listen, yeah. there it is, folks. I mean, look, if you want, exactly. To people, have... The people are thirsty for this. No, but also, listen, it's like, you know, it speaks to the media climate we're in right now. Right. I mean, you could watch a very slick MSNBC show that doesn't have to rely on viewer donations. They're funded by uh, corporate media ads. Right. And you're going to be subjected to propaganda. You know, if you want, if you want, uh, actual uh, outlets that that provide real journalism, then it, it needs the support of its audience. Yeah, so, you know, I, I I'm grateful to that woman for calling in and giving her support. Yeah, and we have another call. Let's see if it's uh, about donating or a question. Hello, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. Hey, Katie, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, this is Jovan from Phoenix. Hi, Jovan. Uh, been been following this story for a while. I've loved the work, you know, yourself and Glenn Greenwald and Aaron Maté have done on this debunking the liberal narrative about, you know, what Russiagate was, the collu the, <laughs> the collusion, right. and all that. Uh, just a quick question: What, uh, in the opinion of the panel, you know, what what do you think uh, the media heads who've been pushing this this farce are are going to do now? I mean, I, we've kind of seen a little bit, um, especially with the Rachel Maddow show right. and <laughs> the up, the, you know, the continued uh, spin, but uh, I just wanted to hear some, you know, more thoughts and opinions on where do you think we go from here, media-wise. Great, thanks so much. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the the press is like a, you know, it's it, it they're like we're like herd animals, right? So, right. you know, I've said this before. It, it's like wildebeest. If fifty-one percent of the wildebeest decide to go one way, they'll all go that way. And the that that's why you see these seamless transitions from you know thinking one thing one day and then the next day the the new point of emphasis is going to be we need to see the entire report from Mueller. Um, then once the report's in, the the new the new point of emphasis is going to be why isn't there an obstruction charge despite the fact that Mueller says there is no uh, underlying crime. Right. Um, and then there's going to be calls for new investigations. They're just they're not going to let this go. It's you know, it, it, this it, it's going to continue in perpetuity. I think. I don't know what you think, Aaron. Uh, these people have invested so much into it. Yeah, they they they're they're forced to double down, um, and they're already doing that. I mean, it's and that's why I, I mean, we just they can't claim to be taken seriously as journalists. They're basically at this point propagandists on, on this issue. And 
hopefully they can have time to work in, focus on real issues as they continue to uh, double down on this one. But it's it's just like they've painted themselves into a uh, into a real corner, and it will it's going to be kind of both sad and hilarious to watch how they continue to try to wiggle out of it. Right. We have a few more questions. I'm going to ask you a few more questions. I mean, a few more minutes, and I'm going to ask you a few more questions, but I also want to give listeners another chance. 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. Um, Aaron and, and um, Matt, I want to know, have you guys experienced, like, I, f- I feel like gaslit, and you must feel especially gaslit, because you guys are really, I just, I just like interview people like you, but you guys are actually doing all the research and you were kind of dismissed as conspiracy theorists, which is really ironic because you guys are skeptical of the conspiracy theory. How does it feel doing the work that you're doing? Like, do you feel um, marginalized by fellow journalists in a way that you haven't before? Is this something you've experienced? How does it compare with uh, Iraq war skepticism, WMD skepticism? Uh, well, I can definitely say I've, I've, these last three years have been the most unpleasant of my career for a number, a number of reasons. But this this story was the big one. Um, I, I, I was regularly accused of being a foreign agent. Right. I had people calling my house. I had people threatening me, threatening my kids. Oh my um, I had, uh, you know, I, I had somebody from uh, one of these sort of self-described Russia-watching websites call me up and offer to escort me to the FBI so that I could give my confession. Oh my God. Uh, you know, you know, call, call me in my home on my landline. Uh, you know, the, the pressure that came from all sides in this business to not say anything was incredibly powerful. Um, I, you know, I think my experience is probably a little different from Aaron's cause I, cause I work for, you know, sort of ma- massive corporate organization as well. Um, but it, you know, it was difficult operating within those p- parameters, uh, because, you know, I, it, it, it was assumed that I was crazy about this point and, um, I was definitely discouraged from ever really talking about it in public. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I want to say, I want to say first, I mean, ultimately like my feelings don't matter, right? Because what matters is, you know, in journalism are the facts and the facts were always on our side. It just, you know. And and if you take journalism seriously, then even though you know, like like all these people are trying to attack you and uh, and, and marginalize you, I mean, like I, I never took them seriously. It was right. definitely, as Matt said, I mean, I, it was so unpleasant. But it also honestly was kind of amusing. I felt yeah. sorry for them right. uh, that they were so in it. And yeah, I mean, I have been surprised. Uh, one thing that's been surprising is even after Mueller collapses the conspiracy theory uh even even uh like not just uh, like i haven't just seen i mean it's one thing if you don't want to credit people who got it right i totally get that for whatever right. reason if you don't want to sure. acknowledge oh hey oh hey look there's a small group of skeptics right. who have been saying this for two years that the, the evidence was not there and it was a mistake it's fine if you don't want to credit us but i saw people uh you know leftist pundits who i respect coming out of nowhere to take shots at me and and and, and my colleagues uh and disingenuously accuse us of defending of, of helping Trump right. and say, and saying that we, we were the ones who were fixated on this issue that we were not calling that we were also oh God, not yeah. important, you right. know, which is just, it's so, 
uh, it, it's and meanwhile and and I think not coincidentally these were some of the same people who got this story wrong, who of bought course. into it, right. who 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 had serious suspicions about whether um, Trump was compromised by Putin. I'll, I'll name one of them who came after me on Twitter, Ryan Cooper of mm. the Week, who worked yeah. I really respect. Yeah, but he came after me with you know. So it's like uh, you know that's the part I don't get. And you know as uh, as Matt spoke about, there are incentives to pet to going along with this to conforming and you know i just really respect people like matt and others who, who didn't you know who never thought twice about actually doing their job yeah real journalists it's all in the facts well thank you guys so much and um i want to thank you for being so relentless and fearless and i know aaron you're saying it's just feelings who cares but i think it's important that people know that this is happening because it's important to realize that when you're even assessing the media um, to know that yeah. there are all these incentives against doing what you're doing and there are all these incentives um, to do what the Rachel Maddows are doing. So um, mm -hmm. we'd have a lot more people speaking in the way that, and writing in the way that you were if there weren't these incentives. And Aaron and Matt, we're going to have to have you back on. Um, Matt, you have to come back on and talk about your experiences in Russia. Aaron, you have to um, talk more about your theory about the um, privilege perpetuating racket that is Russiagate um, for the well, elites. Um, you okay? Yeah. If I can say quickly, one irony of hearing about these attacks that Matt was subjected to, yeah. and being accused of being, is, is that Matt took huge career risks exactly. to uh, uh, publish a vital, a vitally important journal uh, in Russia called The Exile, where he was critical of, of everybody. So much so that his his journal in, in Russia was shut down. Right. So obviously, I have Putin the story operative, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was gone from it by then, but you, yeah. you know, the the. We were very critical of Putin yeah, from the beginning. The perfect and, plan, Matt. And well, th and, thank. You. Where can we find you on online? Where can people find you? Because we're out of time. I want to make sure people can find you. Uh, Aaron J Mate on Twitter. Uh, Matt, you are uh, at Adam Taibbi, and I'm at uh, rollingstone.com and taibbi.substack.com. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, thanks for listening to Katie Halper Show. You can hear the Katie Halper Show every Tuesday at 11 a.m. on WBI. That's 99.5 FM or WBI.org. Thanks again, Matt Taibbi and Aaron Mate, for talking to us. See you next week. Okay, this is like a joke. I don't know why... Um, it's the most omnidirectional microphone, maybe because I'm using my laptop. Okay, anyway, the point is you can also find the Katie Halper Show on iTunes and SoundCloud, where the quality is usually a lot better than what I'm doing right now. And I hope you enjoyed that episode. And please become Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And we'll be dropping a bonus interview with Matt Taibbi about media bias. Bye, thanks.